All right, we're continuing on in our our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're just at the beginning, and um, I think as they're dialing that in, I'll I'll open up with a little little story. When I was in high school, I played on the golf team, and uh, there was, on my senior year, we had a district tournament. It was the last tournament of the year, and uh, we went and played out at Lewis River Golf Course out in, in Woodland, and I very, very vividly remember this was a a great day to be out there playing golf. We got to miss school the whole day, which was awesome. And uh, I remember I was, I was third up to, to, to play, which was great. That was a good placement for me. But the problem with that is uh, normally when we play golf, there's, there's no one there. Maybe our parents sometimes, but nobody's there to watch us. Well, this is the district tournament. So we had, oh, probably 100 to 200 people that were wrapped around the tee box. And so I remember very vividly, I get up to, to dress the ball and to go tee off, and, and I just, I, I, you know, do my, my whole swing, and I just absolutely rip this gorgeous drive. And it went out like 280 yards with this gentle draw, hit in the middle of the fairway, and I just had a chip shot to get to the green. That's actually not what happened. <laughs> <clears throat> I stood up there, and as I swung, if you don't know golf, there's, there's a golf club, the head of your driver, this is called the toe, and this is called the heel. And when I hit the, I hit the heel of the club, and that golf ball is supposed to go that way, 280 yards at a gentle draw, it instead goes like a laser bolt directly behind me and causes these people that are watching to dive out of the way. And... Um, to make matters worse, I think I'm the first person in the history of golf to lose their golf ball on the tee box. No one could find the golf ball. It went in the hedge right there, and we couldn't find the ball. It was horrifically horrifying. It was a terrible way to start out that golf tournament, and, um, and it didn't get much better as the rest of the day went on also. So um, that was that just one experience. This is sounding pretty good, so I think I'll just kind of move on. Do you guys hear Okay. Okay, great. So um, anyway, we, have, we, all have, we all have starts in our lives, um, many of them. Actually, every day we, we start new adventures. We start our day as we get up and we go through things. Maybe we start a new class or a new job or a new relationship. Uh, and and it's, very, it's a very regular part of every one of our lives, starting. We might not think of it like that, but we do start things all of the time. And as, as we come to our, our, our text today in, in Mark, we're getting a picture of, of a start. And it's a, it's a really important and valuable start. And um, we'll see it here as you look in your Bibles to verse 9. It says in verse 9, In those days came from Nazareth of Galilee, and from those, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now what's going on here, uh, just to give a little bit of a context if you're new, just starting out with this, this series through the, the Gospel of Mark, something very awesome is starting to take place. Now first off, Mark is the only author of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's the only author that does uh, not include at least some narrative of the birth of Jesus or Jesus' younger years. 
Mark is kind of a right-to-the-point kind of guy, and he only, in these 16 chapters, records three years of Jesus' life. Now, do you know why, what those three years were, specifically? What was that? It was Jesus' ministry. His ministry was a period of, of roughly three years, and that, in these 16 chapters, three years are covered completely. Now, something is, is happening here in verse 9 that's, that's pretty important. And it's this, that George, Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized. Now, if you've been around a church, you know that, that Jesus may not fit the stereotypical individual to get baptized. John, the baptism of John here is a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So why in the world would Jesus come if Jesus was the sinless one, the perfect one, why would he come to John to be baptized? There are, are a lot of different reasons, but one of the primary reasons that we see is that, that he came here because this is a, a decided point in time. He was making a, a decision to start his earthly ministry. And so he comes out to start his public ministry by getting baptized. Now, I've got a little map here. Um, up until this time, the first 30-ish years, 25 to 30 years of Jesus' life, he, he lived up here in this Nazareth. This is all a Galilean area, the, the, the area of Galilee. That's where, that's where he lived. And it's really, um, it's really interesting. This was this town of Nazareth. As I was kind of preparing for this, I realized it's a, it's a lot like the town of Yakult in, in the sense of it is, it's an obscure little town that that certainly people might know the name, but they don't know much about it. We had to correct our speaker um, during during our men's retreat because he kept calling it Yakult and different things, you know, because that's kind of what it looks like. It's easy to make that mistake. Uh, but but uh, Yakult is kind of an out-of-the-way kind of area, an obscure little area, and some people might think, well, what good could come out of the Yakult area? And and that was exactly what the culture of Jesus' day was saying. When, when this took place and Jesus left Nazareth, he traveled to get baptized on the day that we're reading. He traveled to get baptized somewhere along this Jordan River. Most scholars believe it was at the southern end of the Jordan River down here. So he traveled from here down to here. Um, to be baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, there's a couple things that are pretty important to note. First off, that, that area of Galilee where Jesus was at, was, it was originally conquered by Joshua back in like the 1400 B.C. time frame. And the Jews resided there until a really important event in, in history, which was the year 722, when the Assyrians came in and conquered that particular region. And when they did that, they held captive and they kicked out all of the Jews. And so what you had was this big open area that no longer had any inhabitants. And so because there was structures and houses and people, all of the non-Jew people, which were called Gentiles, uh, which the Jews called as unclean dogs, these unclean dogs, these Gentile people, after they were kicked out, the Jews were kicked out, moved in and took over these homes. And it remained this area for, for hundreds of years after that point in time. And, and some Jews begin to settle there, but it, church history says that even the Jews that lived in that area were looked at um, by the Jews in Jerusalem and other places as with the stain. And it, that's where I said in, in John 7:41, many people found it unthinkable that the Messiah could come from a place like Yakult, or a place, in this case, a place like Nazareth. It wasn't, 
it wasn't something that most people thought about. Now, it's, a, it's kind of a subtle point, but it's an important point as we look at this. If, if, um, if we look at the pattern that we see as Mark describes here in the book of Mark, uh, what's happening here, and it's number one in your notes, if you want to have a, a follow Christ's pattern and start something right, and, and when I say start something, this can be a lot of different things. It, it just whatever you're starting, it can be starting of your day, something insignificant, or it could be starting something like a relationship or starting something like a new job or whatever the case might be. If you want to follow in Christ's footsteps and you want to start well, if you want to start with success, a good principle here is in verse 9, and that's we walk in humility. We walk in, in humility. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. Nazareth was a humble, obscure little town. It's a detail that Mark gives us for a purpose within this text. And Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Now, baptism meant a lot of different things. A lot of the different things. But it certainly, it certainly was a humbling process when you come before someone and you are baptized. And that's what Jesus is modeling here as he comes um, in, in the first part of verse 9. Um, now, what does it look like? Um, what does it look like for us? to walk in humility. Uh, there's, there's a number of, a number of different ways. A couple, a couple of points here that I'd like to make is one of the ways that we can walk in humility, how do we do that, um, is one, we quit putting everything on our own shoulders. Now, another way to say this is we know what our limitations are. Each one of us has been gifted and shaped differently by God. Uh, but oftentimes we, we act outside of this. I've noticed lately in a lot of the conversations that I've had with many of you that there is a, there's an overwhelming message of people saying that they're tired, they're worn out, they're too busy, um, they have all of these responsibilities, they're, they're working hard for their families, they're trying to attend this social event or that social event. And we're just trying to get by. It's kind of what it feels like a lot of times. And, and so when we look here, look at what Jesus says about our lives. He says here, come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden it is light. Jesus does not seem to be talking about a life that is always running to and from, a life that is full of anxiety, a life that is full of weariness, but he seems to state the opposite here. He seems to say, come unto him, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And I can't speak for you personally, but I do know that it is, uh, it is an, easy, an easy road to take where we, we throw on ourselves uh, all of these burdens. And Jesus says, let those burdens go. Come unto me. Let me carry the load on your behalf. And as we go about life, as we go about starting things, or just walking through our day, walking in an attitude of humility, meaning that we don't have to do everything on, on our own. And the second, the second point here is, is not just quit putting everything on our shoulders, but trust in the character, trust in the character of God. Trust in the character of God. Many of you know this verse, this passage, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. 
most of the time when we're not walking in humility, we're actually also professing the fact that we aren't trusting the, the love and the care and the character of God. One of the things I'm excited about for, for Jess and Jerry and the youth group and the youth team is that they're starting today after service still, right? Okay, they're starting um, a Bible study walking through the attributes of God um, by A.W. Tozer uh, in a book that he's written. Uh, and what a better way to spend time studying together as a group of young people than to look at the attributes of God because the more we know about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the more we know about the attributes and the character of God, the greater our trust comes because the more we know, the more we apply normally. And the more we apply, the more we trust and we're able to walk in humility in that way. So that's the first principle we see here. Now let's look to verse 10. Verse 10, it says this, And immediately... After he had come from Nazareth to be baptized, it says, Immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Like a dove. Walking through life. Walking with humility is important. Um, But every bit, a part of that is also, secondly here, walking with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. We see all the New Testament writers in one way or another talk about the importance of living by the Spirit, letting the Spirit of God dwell in us and drive us and and move us. Now, this is something significant. I don't know if you've known this in in Scripture. This is the the only place that we see the presence of the, the, the Trinity, Father God, Holy Spirit God, and Son God present in, in, a, in one form or fashion at the same point in time. We have Jesus being baptized. We have the Father's voice coming forth, which we're going to go to next. And then after that, uh, we, we also have the Spirit, which takes on the form of, it's not a dove, but it takes on the form of like a dove where it comes down and it rests upon Christ. Uh, so it's, it's really what we see here is the Trinity gracefully descending upon the Son, providing this visible symbol of something that is very divine. And we're seeing the empowerment, the authentication, as well as the blessing of Jesus' ministry by the Father and the Spirit. So I know I'm speaking to the congregation, and, and most of you know this, but I think it's worthy of repeating some of the 101s of our Christian faith. And that's that the moment that any of us invite Jesus into our life, at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift and as a seal. Um, This is a, a very fundamental and very basic truth of the Christian faith. So if you've invited Christ into your life and made him your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's, and we've talked about it in other series. We went through our foundational series, our doctrine statement. We talked about how so often within, within church there's lots of disagreement about the application of how the Holy Spirit manifests himself. And, and it really becomes this place where some people say, well, I just don't have as much of the Holy Spirit as you have. It's just not a biblical stance. There's times where throughout each of our lives we may experience um, in, a, in a tangible feeling kind of way more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit. Now we can 
We can also push the Spirit out. We can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon. But I do want to say that looking here at Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise and to the glory of God. Here's the problem, though, and we all know this problem, practically, if not theologically. The problem is our stinking flesh, the flesh that we all wear. That is the problem. Look at Galatians 5.17. Paul uh, identifies with us. He says, the flesh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. See, our Christian life, properly understood, is a very, very simple simple life. It's not a difficult or complex life to understand. Uh, It's so simple sometimes that we tend to just stumble over its simplicity. But it is also, it is also so very simple that it also is so very difficult. And this is a paradox. This is a paradox that we have to live with within this world that we live because of this. Every single one of us is a spiritual character. We have we have the flesh that, that we were born with, but we also were born of the Spirit. And so we are supernatural individuals. And, and so Jesus, when he comes along, he says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And our enemy comes that we might have life and have it miserably. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy our joy. Christ says, we want you to have life abundantly. What does that look like? The abundant life comes through a walking in and walking with and walking by the Spirit. So how do you go about doing this? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? I just want to offer one approach today. Uh, there, are, there are many different books. This is a very biblical approach, which we'll look at here. And it's simply this. How do you walk in the Spirit? Simply put, practice, this is the term that I'll be using, um, spiritual breathing. This is something I learned from uh, the, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, a man named Bill Bright, uh, a great man, godly man, who is, um, through his ministry, I have a couple really close friends who came to know Christ in college because of Campus Crusade for Christ. And when he would go onto college campuses and he would talk to young men and women who just come to faith, This was the first thing that he would teach them. He would talk about this war that's going to happen within their lives between walking in a physical body but also being a supernatural living being. And he would say, what you must do. He called this the secret of the Christian life because so many Christian people don't walk this way. He says, you learn to breathe spiritually. Spiritual breathing, he said, is just like physical breathing. You learn to exhale what is impure and inhale that which is pure. I loved at our men's retreat one of the, the, the pictures. I had never heard this picture before when, when Dr. John was talking about, talking about um, temptation. And as people, um, our, our job is to, to resist, to flee from temptation. Um, and, and we know that we are to, to resist that by putting on the full armor of God so we can resist the flaming arrows from the enemy. And he used the example like this. He goes, he goes now think about it like this. Imagine your, your head as if it is a bucket that contains one of two items. Now let's say the first item is gasoline. Okay? And, and as, as an individual, as a Christian, here you are, you've got a head that's full of gasoline. And the the enemy of our souls is 
throwing through temptations these fiery darts. And we're symbolically trying to block all of these darts. And just imagine if one of those darts gets through and hits you in the, the brain bucket of gasoline. Can, can we envision, if I was better at computer animation, I could just show what my head would do if that happened. It would just explode. Uh, but imagine then, so you can kind of, everybody can picture that, right? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good. Imagine then on the other side, if, you're, if your mind is filled with water, and if you're blocking those arrows and the arrows come in and they go through, and what happens if that arrow hits that water? It's distinguished. It doesn't go anywhere. And his point, his point and the point that I'm trying to make here is that, that our lives are such that we, are going to be, we need to be in a constant process of filtering out that which is unpure or impure and bringing in that which is pure. The way that we do that, obviously, is through the water of God's Word. We let God's word, we let the fellowship of God's people, we let the axed kind of two lifestyle be very real to us. We become people of prayer, uh, people that are committed to living according to the, the scriptures. And, and in, in a sense, that fills up our mind. And, and so Bill Bright, he would say that this spiritual breathing is that process of being very intentional about taking our, our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ letting the things in us be renewed by truth because we have this stinking flesh and it makes it really difficult from time to time. A passage, if you haven't committed to memory, it's really the heart of this spiritual breathing exercise and it's this, it's 1 John 1, 9 and it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, the, the word there, confess, means to agree with. It means to say along with. And so in this aspect of, we use the example of spiritual breathing, we inhale, and our inhaling, or our exhaling is confession of sins, agreeing with God's uh, sin, maybe sin of omission or commission, which means there's some sins we know about, and frankly, there's just some sins that we don't have a clue or sins, and we're, we're hurting God's heart, so we live in this place of, of exhaling, living in confession, and, and bringing in uh, the Spirit of God as we, as we breathe. And, and I would say this and I think you know this, there's this huge spiritual roller coaster that I see. I see it sometimes in my own life and I see it in the, in the Christian culture where we're up and we're down and we're up and we're down. As we, as we learn to walk by the Spirit, not by like around, but walk by, side by side. As we walk with the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, it, it levels off that roller coaster. It doesn't mean life won't have its problems, but it does mean that when problems come our way, we breathe in the truth of God. If there's confession that needs to take place, we confess it. And then immediately the forgiveness is reminded of to us. And we, we, we walk as a spirit-filled Christian. Thirdly, as we start things, we start things is uh, so important. Always get dad's approval. Always get dad's approval and blessing before we start something. I cannot remember if I told you this story before, so if I have, forgive me. My brother and I were home alone, which 
That should scare everyone when we were teenagers. That should scare everyone with that statement right there. When you think of movies you've seen with two brothers that are always causing problems together, that was me and Steve. We're home alone, and uh, all of a sudden my brother starts screaming at me to come look at this. So we run to the front door of our house, and in the front, I look out and standing, now we live, it was a nice neighborhood. It was on a golf course in, in a neighborhood uh, in Vancouver, Green Meadows. Have you ever heard of that? And uh, there was one vacant lot at the end of our street, which was about 100 yards away. The street's lined with houses. Steve goes, look at that. And he points, there's a coyote standing in the vacant lot at the end of our street. And, and so we both are like, oh, get the gun. And so we run and we, we get the gun. And Steve grabbed the gun and he dropped down on one knee. He's left-handed and he aimed. I said, wait a second, we've got we to ask Dad first. And so I, I run to the phone real quick. I call Dad. I said, this coyote's just standing there. There's a coyote at the end of the field. We want to shoot it. Can we shoot? And I I mean, my dad breaks me off in mid-sentence. And he says, no, you can't. And as he's saying no, guess what happens? (laughs) Crack! Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) We got in so much trouble. Oh, my. We missed the coyotes, but we did hear from the Homeowners Association, and we had to go before the, the board and apologize and all of those things. Uh, um, it's funny. That was a lot of years ago. When, when, we, when, when I tell a story, that's exactly how it happened. But my brother tries to tell a story saying it was me that pulled the trigger, but it wasn't me. I'm sure it was him. Um, it would have been good for us to get Dad's approval before we pulled the gun out, before we, we cracked off the shot, and, and uh, unfortunately, he missed. That's how we know it wasn't me that shot, um, was that uh, he missed. <laughs> um, it's always good to, to ask Dad's approval and blessing. And uh, we know from within, I don't say this irreverently, we know from within Scripture that, that, um, that we can cra- call out to Abba Father. That's Daddy God, Daddy, Father, and uh, so I use the word Dad um, in a very warm sense. Uh, but always get Dad's approval, um, and then I put approval and blessing for two for two reasons. Um, uh, let's just start by saying this: our world, and I'm not saying anything you don't know, but our world is relationally bankrupt. I mean, our world might do a lot of things well. Our new president may be doing lots to try to make America great again. But what we are for sure is relationally bankrupt. Relationships in our world today are so, so messed up. And, and I know every one of us in here experiences that, and maybe is very acutely experiencing that right now in your own life. Maybe it's with family, friends, spouse, uh, coworkers, neighbors. I mean, relationships are just a mess, <clears throat> That is, uh, you know, because of the fall of man. Uh, and, and most of the difficulty that we have to deal with comes down to the issue of relational bankruptcy within people. Uh, one of the, the saddest, I think, and probably one of the greatest of all relational bankruptcies in our culture today is the lack of father figures. The lack of fatherly, specifically fatherly affection especially towards their children. I mean, working in youth ministry for nine years, uh, we always came, and most of the things that we dealt with and most of the major problems we dealt with, and I would say especially with, with young women that did not have 
who did not have a stable, godly home. And, and the effects of that on their lives, that can't, it's not just girls, it's also guys. And what ends up happening through the years is those kids grow up and they're always trying to gain the approval of dad, but because dad's not around, somebody else is around. And that other person that's around um, may not be much better than dad was because dad may have gone to work every day, dad may have spoke truth, but there was no warmth, there was no emotional support. And I, this is actually kind of beside the point, but I just want to say for us men, and I'm guilty of this, but what do our kids need? What do our wives need? What does the culture around us need? What they need is what we talked about last week. They need godly men whose heart beats after the Lord. Men who have a heart like David had. Not men that are perfect, but men that are willing to admit when they're wrong and be heartbroken over the sin of their lives. And the men who step out, like Mike said, and are willing to, by faith, slay the giant. We're not all giant. You said we were all giant killers. We're not all giant killers. We're all called to be giant killers. And we do that by faith, by trusting in God, stepping out and saying, okay, this is the giant in my life, and I am going to step in, and I'm going to slay it by faith. Not by my own strength, but by his strength. But we have far too many people that look at the cave where the giant resides, and we think we've got our spirit, and we're going to go in and take it, and then we get overwhelmed by the reasons we, we can't do it. Just like happened when the giants of the land were seen by everybody but Joshua and Caleb, and they, in fear, turned and ran away. But for us as men, this is our opportunity. This is our call and we ought, we, we don't ought, we must, as men, walk in truth. Holding up the word of God, loving God first, and working hard to provide for our family. Financially, that's important, but emotionally is just as important. Being there as men to show, to show the, their love, our, our love for our family and our kids. I think, and also I'll say this, we need to tell them with words too. Not just show them, but tell them. Okay, so now back to all of us, from the men to all of us. Um, if we want to get a good start, whatever that start looks like, um, we do so um, by gaining the approval of, uh, getting the approval and the blessing of our dad. So a look at verse 11. Such an awesome, beautiful verse in Scripture. Verse 11 says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved. You are my beloved beloved son and with you i am well pleased with you i am well pleased as jesus set out here to start his public ministry we see him doing so he steps out in a very humble way he is he is anointed by the spirit of god and he gains his father's approval and blessing uh, i want to just ask you when you approach life and you start things out, how are, you doing at th- how are you doing at this? Seeking the approval of God. Seeking his affirmation, seeking his, his love and his care. Um, I think there's two aspects to how this looks practically in our lives. Practically, practically and the first one is, how do we get dad's approval? Well, really, you already have it. You already have it because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So the way that you gain God's approval, your father, your dad's approval, is you remember that he's already given it to you because of 
your acceptance of his son Jesus on your behalf. Look at a couple of these verses. So you renew your mind. That's your fill in the blank. You renew your mind. Two, two scriptures, but there's a lot of them. God shows his love for us. His love for us. Now, that word love is agapao. The word blessed is agapathos in, in our text. So it's the same word, blessed, loved. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We'll say this most every week because the gospel is the core of everything we stand upon, and it's this, that God does not accept us based upon our goodness. He accepts us based upon Christ's sacrifice for us and our acceptance of that sacrifice. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. That's Zephaniah 3, I think it's 17, not 7, but 3, 17. We renew our mind. That's how we get God's approval. We remember that we're already approved in his sight, not based upon what we do, but based upon what he does. And then secondly, how do we get not just, not just his approval, but his blessing? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. And all of us who have gone and asked a, a father-in-law for their baby girl's hand in marriage knows there's a difference. And a blessing is, is an important aspect to the process. You, you don't just want someone to grudgingly give you an okay. You want their blessing. Um, what does that look like? How, how, do we, how do we receive his blessing? Well, like many things, there's, there's more than just one answer. But the one answer that I want to, to, to look at is that we, we receive God's blessing when we, we live a life that is devoted to and dedicated to prayer. When we live a place and we live in, in, in an aspect, in a posture of prayer where we're communicating to the Lord and from the Lord, uh, then we have the assurance, we have the renewing of our mind that we've got here. Um, Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Romans 12.12 says, keep rejoicing in hope. This is so key as we go through the gospel of Mark. Uh, this gospel is written at a time where Nero is believed to have intentionally set Rome on fire to blame the Christians and then usher in the, the slain of thousands of Christians. So while Mark's writing this, the, the butchering of Christians is taking place. And so we'll, that's kind of an undercurrent to the whole book of Mark. And, and so when we know that, as we read it, we can understand the context that the people are thinking as they're reading his words. But this is from Romans. This keep rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and being devoted to prayer. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that um, isn't just one in which I'm accepted by God, but I want to please God. I want, I want to be blessed by God. And we see all throughout God's word that that is how that happens, that we come before the Lord in prayer. We saw Jesus on his, on his last day, as, as Marshall described here, when he led us in communion. He was out in the garden to pray, to be with his father, because he was amidst a very dif difficult, persevering trial kind of time. Um, as we as we close up here, uh, I want to just um, I'm going to ask you to take what we've talked about in, in your own heart and in your own mind, whatever it is that the Spirit of God, because you are a spiritual supernatural being, if you have accepted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. I would like you to sit here um, for just a minute or two and uh, and and think about on and maybe write down if you've got a pen, write down 
one area that the Holy Spirit is convicting you today as, as you do this. And then practice that spiritual breathing that we talked about, confessing that to him and bringing in those things which are of his character, those things which are loving, pure, noble, honoring to him. Philippians 4.8. So I just want to give you that opportunity individually to do that as, um, as we close out the service today. So if you could just close your eyes and bow your heads. When, when we're done, we'll, we'll start uh, singing our closing songs.